Hi, and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with Andy, Steve, and Wes. And today we're we're gonna jump right into our topic today. Today we're we're gonna be discussing the rights of conscience. And for some of you listeners who have been following us on social media, you might have seen that we put out a feeler, we put out a request because we wanted to hear your thoughts, the listeners. I know some of you uh, have sent us different emails at different times, having different topic ideas, and we wanted to give you the opportunity to actually put your voice on the podcast. And so this week, we we actually were sent in two submissions from two different listeners. So let's hear what they had to say. Hi, my name is Amanda. I'm a young mom of a beautiful two-year-old girl here in Abbotsford, British Columbia, and I've made the hard choice not to get vaccinated for COVID-19. Even before mandates were implemented, my husband and I had talked about wanting to wait a few years before considering taking any vaccine that would come out for COVID. As time went on, mandates came rolling in as expected, and we prayed for wisdom on what we should do. After a lot of debate, discussion, and tears, we both knew we were not supposed to take it. As time has gone on, more and more people we know have had heartbreaking reactions to it. And with the squeeze being put on so fiercely from the government, we feel that our conviction is only growing. In Romans 14, Paul speaks about those who feel convicted over eating meat versus those who do not. Both parties are instructed not to cast judgment on the other for their convictions. In the last verse, 23 says, But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. My conscience is not the same as my neighbor's, and that's okay. But the government or any other entity trying to mandate what goes into my body would be an infringement of my conscience, and taking the vaccine would actually be a sinful act for me, as I would be going against what I feel God is wanting me to do. Hey, this is Gina coming to you from Guelph, Ontario. And my take on this issue is that if conscience is an aspect of the self that is responsible for shaping our moral awareness of good and evil, and it informs our actions based on those moral judgments, it is integral to our capacity to distinguish right from wrong. And thus we ought to protect it based on the fact that it is a moral dimension of ourselves, which affirms and protects our human dignity, identity, and integrity regardless of religious belief. Section 2A of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms notes correctly that to protect such a freedom is to, quote, ensure that society does not interfere with profoundly personal beliefs that govern one's perception of oneself, humankind, nature, and in some cases, a higher order of being. And for this reason, a violation of conscience means a violation of human rights. Well, thank you so much, Amanda and Gina, for your contributions. Uh, We definitely appreciate hearing from you, and there is definitely a lot to talk about there. So without further ado, Andy, why don't you kick us off today as we dive in and converse about this aspect of our culture and our rights of conscience? Yeah, thanks. You know, I want to just start by thanking, you know, our listeners for sending their their emails to us and you know for being willing to send their their audio and voicing their conscience which i think is an important part of the conversation that's happening in canada this is a conversation too that's not just happening in canada this is a global conversation which was brought to my attention when the world congress and philosophy of law decided to meet and it got postponed so they've been thinking about this for a while And given all that's been going on before the pandemic, and then particularly into the pandemic, 
the topic is, that that's being addressed that that I'm participating in is the topic of rights of conscience. So, what does that look like? And I think that that is the the topic in the conversation that particularly is happening here in in Canada, and it's happening globally. As the listeners who were sharing their conscience brought up the COVID vaccine. And I would say that that is an important part of the conversation, but I'd also say it's, and as we'll get into, it's one piece of multiple conversations that are currently taking place, particularly here in Canada, as people are voicing their conscience in a variety of different ways, which I think we we should chat about. As an example, uh, just with what's going on uh, here in British Columbia, is People have been voicing their conscience where we have truckers, for example, that are voicing their conscience with regards to the vaccine yeah. and are driving to Ottawa. And I think that's something that we need to talk about as well. The um, the fitness community, for lack of a better term, has been voicing their conscience, particularly here in British Columbia, where they basically said, if I, I, I don't, I haven't like researched as well. Maybe some of you guys have, but I was talking with a, a friend of mine who was basically saying that, you know, with the mandates that came out here in BC, they were silent about when they were going to allow uh, gyms to open back up. And basically a number of gyms said, we're going to open back up because uh, this is, this is an issue of mental health. Mm-hmm. This is, this is a, a, a bigger issue. And then the, then if I understand correctly, uh, the, the, the government came back out like the next day and said, Hey, we're going to open up gyms. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of the, the, the most challenging things I've found is that it's so polarizing to get, to offer your opinion on anything. And I think that in of itself is what leads people to, you know, to just being very combative, being very defensive in, in any conversation, you know, from the, from the vaccine to the truckers and, and, you know, the varying opinions in there, the moment you voice your opinion on something, it's like, we're all just kind of walking on eggshells until we just explode either in anger and frustration or in a potential show of strength and solidarity, like the, the freedom convoy that we were talking about. So just to give you guys some quick context, as we may reference it a few times today, The Freedom Convoy is an ongoing protest against COVID-19 federal vaccine mandate for cross-border travel introduced by the Government of Canada on January 15, 2022. Composed of several routes traversing all of the Canadian provinces, the truck convoy is expected to reach Ottawa on January 29, 2022, with a rally planned at Parliament Hill. It was fundraised by Tamara Leach, the Secretary of the Western Separatist Party, the Maverick Party, And GoFundMe has frozen funds until Leach can provide proof as to how the money will be spent. Prior to January 15th, truck drivers and other essential workers had been exempt from the two-week quarantine for unvaccinated travelers across Canada's borders. The exemptions abolition has been criticized by some truckers and politicians for having potential to exacerbate the supply chain disruptions already experienced in Canada, although nearly 90% of truckers working in Canada have been vaccinated and would not be affected by the quarantine requirement. The protest convoy has been condemned by the Canadian Trucking Alliance and the Atlantic Provinces Trucking Association. The movement is supported by several conservative politicians, while conservative leader Aaron O'Toole encouraged truckers to get vaccinated instead. 
The Canadian Chamber of Commerce supports vaccination, but has called for extending the deadline for enacting the vaccine mandate while the Canadian Manufacturing Coalition expressed support for lifting the mandate immediately. I want to just mention something here. I want to throw something out, guys, as we're talking about this, because I think this is an important thing just to get out right at the beginning. Troy, you you bring up a great point in that this is a very contentious issue. People have heated opinions on, on this from a variety of different perspectives. But one of the things I think is just so important for us to appreciate is that although this topic may annoy you or you may be very heated on it, uh, one side or the other, I think that we have to appreciate that this is what it means to live in a democracy. Mm. This, is what it, this is what it means to live in a democracy is that you have a differing of opinion. And we yeah. have to be okay with that differing of opinion and allow for the voicing of that different opinion that people have their own conscience and that they have the the right to to um share their their conscience and 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 voice that conscience in yeah. a in a variety of different ways and so that you know i've got friends that are on uh, all over on these different issues some i agree with some i don't agree with and that's part of living together right. in a society right. yeah i think the fact that conscience is becoming an issue just presupposes that, yeah, there are diverse opinions and that that's what it means. Um, and to add, to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying, Andy, it's not even just that, you know, it, it's important to voice your conscience because that the freedom of conscience or the rights of conscience, really, they're ineffective if we can't live according to our conscience. And I think that is what you meant by saying, you know, voicing your conscience and things like that. Really what we're saying is we have to be able to live according to that. Because the whole idea of freedom of conscience or the rights of conscience is that it has to do with human integrity, right? That you are a whole person, not a, not a divided person, that you live like one person in one context, but you live as another person in another context. And so, yeah, we have to be able to live according to our conscience. This is a, an issue that has a multivalent aspect to it. You know, there, there isn't just one issue at play. There are multiple issues at play. And even my wife, Melissa, and I have been struggling within our own communities because whether it's our church community or family or friends it really runs the gamut of the different perspectives. Like we have people on the far right of the subject and the far left of the subject and everywhere in between and trying to have yeah. an approach that's navigating between those, even from like, you know, having a conversation in the morning to having a conversation in the afternoon with, you know, a family member or a friend here. Or, and I have a, you know, I have a, a pastoral position in my church you know, I wear different hats. We all wear different hats. Each four of us can kind of identify with that. And that comes with the struggle to lead by example, but also take into consideration that there are so many different opinions on this. Right. And I think that's really caused a lot of tension in the last two years. And the topic has fluctuated from, from topic to topic and time to time. That's a that's a really great point, Wes. It's as if there, we've removed all neutral ground. Like there is no neutral space. And it doesn't mean that you're, you know, apathetic and you don't, I just don't care. I think we should, we all care to a certain degree, 
from different corners, but not saying anything doesn't mean you don't have an opinion, but there's no, like no man's land where we can sit and really chat and have these conversations that, or at least they're not celebrated as, as much as they should be. I mean, conversations like this on a podcast, this is a neutral ground, but taking this structure and bringing it into the world is very, very, very hard to do. Well, and I think Troy, one of the issues that I'm having is that, you know, I'm not a medical professional. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. Um, I'm a humble historian <laughs> who really doesn't have very <laughs> much expertise in, in anything overly specific. And so when I'm having conversations and you're really uh, forced in a lot of ways to dabble in those different areas, you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. everybody online is now a medical professional and a public health advocate and a lawyer. WebMD, and- man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, um, one of one of the issues that I've struggled with is that the anecdotal has a big part in this conversation. And I, I don't know where the anecdotal turns into the data, because at a certain point, the anecdotal, just my experience and someone else's experience, that does form the data as it kind of compiles and compiles and grows and grows. And I, I have doctor friends who are, are saying, you know, if you were in the ICUs with me, you'd have a completely different opinion. And I think that's valid. I, I'm, maybe I would. And then I have uh, mental health professionals who are also saying, you know, I'm dealing with people who were right on the precipice who are now, you know, where I was having conversations with people who ha- express suicidality maybe five times a week, it's now five times a day, or whether it's the school shutting down or whether it's this or whether it's that. There are so many different factors, as I said before, that I feel like our experience has a big part in our perspective. I don't know that you, you need to be a doctor or a lawyer or any of these things, you know, to have a conscience. You, you're a person that has a conscience that you're trying to work through these issues. But I guess my point is, and and I think this is the bigger conversation, that what you're talking about, Wes, is that this is messy. And and my point is, democracy is messy. And if you want to try to clean it up, I think that that's the real danger. That's where you start Mm -hmm. getting into totalitarianism, where you're saying, no, I'm going to force everybody into this side or into this side, instead of embracing that a democracy is inherently messy and that you're going to have a division of opinion. And I find it interesting yeah. as well that our founding fathers actually saw that as a good thing and that there is an intention to create a political system that is not smooth and efficient, but is is intentionally antiquated and messy so that power is not easily grabbed and ran with because we have seen fo- how force can be used. And I think that that's just one of the pieces that we're coming to grips with in, in at least in this moment is the messiness of a democracy. Yeah. And just to give you an illustration of the opposite end, right? When everything is quote unquote cleaned up and tidied up in a society, just look at how North Korea does their elections. So just a number of years ago, I saw, it was right around the time when Canada was having their federal election. I saw this BBC article on how North Korea conducts their elections. You and I know roughly what the turnout rate is in Canada or United States or, you know, and you you know how contentious an election can be, right? Now in North Korea, the turnout rate is something like, 99.95%, 
already there's a problem. And then 100% voting yay to Kim Jong-un being in power. That's what a quote-unquote tidy society looks like. And you know what North Korea doesn't have is freedom of conscience. Jeez. Well, it's interesting, Steve, this might be a good moment for you to give a quick promo to our next ACLE, because given all that's going on and the significance mm-hmm. of this topic, we want to think more deeply on yeah. uh, rights of conscience and particularly totalitarianism. So what's, what's the book and what's the topic we're going to jump into? Yeah, for those listeners who are maybe tuning in for the first time, uh, Apologetics Canada puts on this somewhat quarterly, if you will, uh, event called Apologetics Canada Literary Expedition, or ACLE, where different uh, people come together and discuss a book that we've read or that touches on a particular cultural concept. And so on March 27th, that's Sunday, at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, uh, we're going to be discussing George Orwell's 1984. Uh, so the title of this ACLE is George Orwell's 1984, Prophetic or Pathetic? Uh, that was uh, Andy's big contribution, that the prophetic, pathetic <laughs> thing. Uh, we loved it. I love it. I love it. So um, uh, I will be hosting it along with one of our adjunct speakers, Rachel Budea, who is a PhD student in English literature and so we will be talking about different topics like totalitarianism, you know, free thinking or double think, new speak, those kinds of things that we we find in George Orwell's 1984. And we want to nuance it too. We use the terms like Orwellian, we throw it around, but what does that actually mean? And are we in fact headed in that direction that we see in 1984? What are some places where we overlap and what are some places where we don't overlap. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a hoot. So keep your eyes peeled for it. The new ACLE webpage will be launched very soon here. Guys, let me throw something out at you and, and tell me what, you know, your thoughts on this. Um, but there, there's a, an, a news article that is challenging this whole trucker movement that I personally, I personally find this article concerning because it's almost kind of like they're questioning the motives of the truckers and asking, is this the, is this like the Canadian insurrection? Like, are, you know, like, are these truckers gonna, you know, basically trying to question their motives or their thoughts. It's kind of like, you know, and then, and then concerned about all these ideas of what they could possibly do. And I'm like, wow, man, like this protesting is again, a part of what it means to be a part of a democracy that you can voice your conscience, you can do this. And this is actually yeah. important part of living in a democracy. Yeah. But I but I guess I'm raising this danger of even though this has been said multiple times that it is a peaceful demonstration to question that motive and then to act of what you think they're gonna do, uh seems quite dangerous to me. Yeah. I think one of the issues we're having is that our our society is increasingly growing polarized. And so we're growing more and more skeptical of the other. And so we've created this divide where, and you see this, I think, most starkly in um, the, uh, our our friends to the South, uh, the Americans with how the, the American, the United States of America is a little bit less united these days. 
And uh, it's not just Republican. The states of America. The states of America. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this somewhat cohesive states of America. Um, That'd be yeah, for a good yeah, podcast yeah. title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The tolerated state of America. <laughs> yeah, the tolerated state of America. That's pretty good. Um, we see that where it's not even just like Democrat and Republican. It's like the left and the right and the centrists. And if you're if you're too center, you're alt-right or your radical left or, you know, we have all these, these situations where we've cast doubt on the other's motivations. And so what that's done is it's forced us to proceed on not giving the other the benefit of the doubt. And I think what you're highlighting in that article, Andy, is the fact that the author is not giving the truckers the benefit of the doubt that what they're doing is what they're actually doing and proceeding not on what you do know, but on what you don't know. And by that basis, you can make an argument from silence. And the problem That's with right. arguments from silence is that they range from bad to worse, no matter what you're talking about, right? Um, I, yep. You know, I mentioned before, you know, my field of expertise is history. Any argument from silence is always going to be a bad argument because it's always going to be proceeding on what you don't know. And it's always better to go on what you do know. And I think we should give the truckers the benefit of the doubt and comparing it with the insurrection of something like uh, January 6th, unfortunately, what it misses is that the those who are marching on on Capitol Hill on January 6th, they weren't very cryptic about what their intention was. No. They were very clear <laughs> when they were marching down over to um, over to the Capitol building, exactly what they intended to do. There yes. were people yelling it. I don't hear that message. And I know a number of individuals in the, the trucker industry or who, who used to be involved as truckers. And everything they're posting has been very transparent in what they want to do, what their intention is. And I, at least at this point, have no reason to doubt that. Just to pick up on what you said earlier, Wes, about giving one another the benef benefit of the doubt and how important that is. And I mean, really, if you think about it, that without that, you really can't have freedom of conscience. Agreed, Steve. Because no matter no matter what you advocate for, somebody's always going to be thinking, "Okay, this guy is not. That's not really what they want, right?" So you hear this all the time in, say, I mean, just I don't want to dwell on this too long, but on the abortion debate, right? There's a lot of kind of casting doubt on, so let's say somebody who's pro-life is advocating for, you know, protecting the unborn, let's say. And almost inevitably, you'll have some, not all, but many pro-choicers criticizing the pro-lifer for, you know, like what you really want to do is control women, right? And you'll hear something uh, similar going the other way. I, I just want to take it a step further, though, Steve. And I would say that I think fear it, it becomes a controlling factor, though, that's a part of this equation that that also stokes this this uh, level of control and that a lot of people are reacting to. Right. Just to just to give you a, just a quick demonstration of how this fear gets stoked. Uh, I was sent an article by a friend of mine from the National Post that more than one in four Canadians support jail time for the unvaccinated poll finds. And, and I just think to myself, first of all, why would the National Post even, 
even post that? Like, is that even newsworthy? Like, is that actually helpful for society? But then I also think, why would somebody even put together that poll? Why would you even do that unless you're just trying to divide and you're trying to stoke fear? Um, yeah. That it, and basically it says that the poll found that 27% of respondents say it would be okay to jail the unvaccinated for up to five days. And and then you can't help but wonder, okay, who did you pull? Where did you pull? You know, what sort of statistical measures are you using and, and all of that. But <laughs> yeah. to me, I just can't help but sniff underlying issues where fear is being used in very unhelpful ways that that are not helping uh, yeah. these sorts of conversations, and then and then you're surprised that people are going on a freedom convoy. I mean, come on, there's a bunch of us that are vaccinated. They're like, I'm getting on that convoy because this is this is not good for a democratic society to be trying to yeah. control people in these ways. Sorry, Wes. Uh, last week, Glenn Scrivener, who's a he's an evangelist, he's the head of an organization out in the UK. I probably mentioned him before because I'm a big fan of his. He tweeted last week, the Christian position is to be anti-vex. So for, for the listeners who don't know vex, meaning like to be outraged, right? And of course, everybody reads it wrong. And everybody's in the comments. They're like, because they, they read it as vex. And so they're assuming he's, you know, saying one thing and and they're proving his point to going on and on and on. And obviously that proved his point, right? I love it. Because he wanted people to read it incorrectly and then show that, you know, we really aren't that very nice to each other when it comes to disagreement. Mm -hmm. And particularly, he's saying, you know, the Christian position should be one of humility. It should be one of grace. It should be one of recognizing that in reality, we are an enemy of God and God has given grace to us. And so therefore we should be the first to kind of reach out with the hand of humility to others. But I think it, it speaks to both what you were saying before, um, Steve, and to what you were saying, Andy, about uh, fear. You know, we react when we're afraid and when we think that, you know, we're in danger, or others are in danger. And I'm reminded time and time again, every time I start to feel a little bit frustrated with the regulations here in Ontario or whatever. I can't go to the gym anymore. Or The other day I went to, it was a, a local bakery. I was picking up a loaf of bread and there was a two gentlemen who were, um, I'm pretty sure were triple masked, who had a face shield, who were wearing gloves. He kind of threw his money on the counter and like backed away. And if I got, you know, a little bit too close within a six foot radius, he like was cowering and it was a good reminder to me that those people are still out there. Now that doesn't mean that they're operating in reality or that their response is rational, mm. but they're still out there. And I forget that they're out there and those people are genuinely afraid. And it's as someone who might be feeling a little bit more frustration, might be wanting to take my mask off and throw it at the register instead of my money. Um, I think it's good for me to be reminded that there are still people on either side who are really worried one way or the other, where they, mm -hmm. they are, they're worried about the government. And then there are other people who are worried about COVID still being a risk to them and to mm -hmm. keep at least somewhat balance in the grand scheme of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on that note, uh, just this thought occurred to me that when you are talking about the rights of conscience, really, the kinds of people that you have to keep in mind 
when you're talking about that is the person that you disagree with, right? Because it's so often, you know, it's so easy to claim the right of conscience to protect my own interest, right? So, you know, let's say if I'm a medical doctor who is opposed to providing MAID, right? Medical assistance in dying. So it's, it's easy, easy to kind of make it about yourself, but really it's, we have to think, here's the thing, like when I think of rights and freedom, those kinds of things, from a Christian perspective, I think, because we follow a Messiah who laid down his, his right, right? Who, who forfeited his own right to give himself for the benefit of others. So when I think of rights, freedom, I have to remind myself, I can't claim that just for myself. I have to protect it for the sake of others that I might not necessarily agree with. Well, the way I see it, Steve, is that there's this balance between rights of responsibility and rights of conscience, and that the two go hand in hand. And, and in fact, this is one of the arguments that I'll be making mm. at, at this Congress in, in Bucharest this summer, it, is that the, the government can't have it both ways. The government can't both hold you responsible for your conscience and then also um, not allow for your rights of, of conscience. And, and I think that maybe this is one of the reasons, too, that the vaccine has become such a lightning rod issue is because it is a, it's been a compounding issue of government control, government overreach, and trying to navigate a democracy in which we're now living in this era in which the law has become more of a club than a guide. Mm. And it's become, as I've argued before, I make the argument that pre-Enlightenment theology was an authoritative statement, and to the Enlightenment, science became an authoritative statement. I argue that after the World War II and the Declaration, the UN uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights and those sorts of things, the law becomes an authoritative statement. And we're seeing this over and over again. Uh, I have a, for example, just, just, a, just a quick example. A friend of mine works in palliative care. You brought up MAID, Steve. A friend of mine worked as a nurse in palliative care for years. She said, Andy... 90% of the doctors and nurses were opposed to doctor-assisted suicide until the law came into effect, and then it switched, and then 90% were for. And so, what one of the things that we're seeing is, is how much uh, law, is, how persuasive it is, and how controlling it can be on people. And we're very much used to that right now in our culture. If you want something, or you want to get your way, or, or you want to flex control or power, right? You do it legally. The, the law is, is what you use. And, and I think yeah. that there's this, there's this clear frustration with the level of, of control, the level of fear that, that's going on in our society. So, let, let me give you just one example uh, from British Columbia. Uh, here was a big one that, that happened with the Delta Hospice Society. They're a private uh, organization that were founded in 1991. And they have this uh, hospice called the Irene Thompson Hospice Center that had 10 beds. Well, the BC Ministry of Health and the Health Authority um, of Fraser Health permitted the hospice to operate and granted the society lease for land and to provide and, and providing funds to cover the cost of operating as a hospice. But once assisted suicide arrived in Canada in 2016, that all changed. 
And then the society was pressured to permit assisted suicide. So this hospice was being pressured. However, the hospice was founded by this lady named Nancy who who was opposed to it. Like that was one of the the key things that they were opposed to and committed to as palliative care to helping people and and not per, not providing this. Well, you see in here in British Columbia that this has just become this this mess where people start infiltrating their board in 2019, this lady gets fired and because now they want to assist in suicide, but then this board gets taken back over by this other group that says, no, we're not going to do that. But then the Fraser Health uh, steps in and gives them an ultimatum that they're going to take the land from them. Uh, the society decides that they're going to become, that they're going to just go off of donations and give the $750,000 back to the, the government so that they don't have to participate in, in MAID. But then in, in 2020, the a society attempted to become a faith-based institution so that they could they could get around this issue. But before that vote could happen, the Supreme Court of BC ruled in favor of an application made by detractors of this of this opposition to stop the vote. And ultimately in March of 2021, the Fraser Health Authority assumed control of the hospice and now they have to provide made. Wow. And and I and it's these sorts of stories over and over again that have compounded and frustrated people where they have seen this government overreach, where they're saying, "Listen, you are not respecting our charter rights and freedoms here in Canada, and allowing for people to voice their conscience." Yeah. And I think people people have become frustrated. So it doesn't surprise me what we're seeing with the vaccine. I think one of the issues, and this might be interesting for our American listeners to realize, is that while I'm not a constitutional lawyer by any stretch of the imagination, one of the first things I learned when we learned about the Constitution in high school was Section 1 of the Charter, that the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees the rights and freedoms set out in its subject only to such reasonable limits prescribed by law as can be demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. And what that means is that any of the limits of the rights and freedoms, or sorry, any of the rights and freedoms can be limited depending on how one interprets reasonable and how anyone interprets what makes a just, free, and democratic society. That's not true in the United States. There's an aspect of the uh, Declaration of Independence and the charter that exists in the United States that is very, very different. The Canadian system of English jurisprudence doesn't say that your rights are given by God and are inalienable. That's something that's unique to the American Constitution. It's not within the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And so we do run into issues occasionally where the Canadian government decides that, well, for the betterment of society, this right or that right or this thing that you're supposedly entitled to can be limited within specific frameworks, depending on how one interprets different aspects. One of the things that was pointed out is even in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, when a right or a freedom is limited, demonstrably justifiable, right? In other words, the burden is on the government or whatever state agency to demonstrate that it is justifiably. In other words, they have to be able to marshal some objective evidence and reasoning and all those kinds of things and to show that it is justifiable. But in, in many cases, that hasn't been done, is what I hear. So there is some 
checks and balances in Canada too, but whether that's actually really closely followed, that's another question, right? Which should be a warning to, you know, any democratic society, you know, with their own constitution is that you have to be vigilant because it's one thing to have a piece of paper that says it has to be demonstrably justified. It's another thing for the government and the people to actually follow that. Yeah, You guys might find it interesting, but the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms begins by saying, whereas Canada is founded upon the principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. Uh, listen, I'm not I'm not a prophet, but I'm telling you right now, it will not be long until that is amended here in Canada, yeah. and God will be removed from that, sadly. But we are a country that operates on the rule of law, and you don't have to be a constitutional lawyer to appreciate that. Because uh, I know you guys keep bringing up that you're not experts in this, but I don't think you need to be an expert in this to appreciate that you live in a democracy and that you have your your own conscience and that we can voice that and that together we're working this thing out. And I think as a Christian that's the key is appreciating that we live in a we live in a society and it's and it's a society that has to work things out as we agree on some things and disagree on lots of other things and and what does that look like? in this messy world and this brokenness to work that out as we seek to live together. And and I would argue, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, guys, but I would argue that this is one of the challenges in the church right now is that these documents like the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms have become our hope. And we have put a lot of hope in in our government, in our nation, that this is this becomes our little heaven yeah. on earth sort yeah. of idea. And we lose sight of the big picture. Now, I'm not trying to say that we just disengage from society, but I think that we should be uh, more realistic about living in a broken, sinful world and what, you know, the the sort of utopia that you're trying to achieve here. Yeah, right. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, right? So I think, yeah, we run the danger and we need to be careful not to put our trust in things that are not Christ. Um, let me just make a, a quick comment and step into my area of expertise, uh, and then I'll shut up because I've been talking too long anyways. Um, because I, in kind of like thinking about this conversation and uh, looking up various things, was interested in the fact that there have been similar situations in the not-so-recent past that kind of mirror this. In fact, in the 1700s in Boston, there was a smallpox epidemic or outbreak at least and there was a big controversy within the christian community in particular because vaccinations were starting to be implemented um now this is very much in the infancy of vaccinations but there was a pastor named william cooper who was a bostonian clergyman in the 18th century and he actually wrote a letter a pastoral letter which he entitled a reply to the objections made against taking the smallpox vaccine in the way of inoculation from particip- from principles of conscience. That's a long title, which I botched a little <laughs> bit there. Um, but Cooper's letter makes the case for allowing inoculation as a legitimate means to avoid suffering and preserve life. But he also rejects the legalism of pastors who sought to prohibit inoculation, which was happening. Pastors were 
literally from the pulpit, talking about how getting the smallpox inoculation was a lack of trust in God and therefore sinful. In this letter, he says, that's going too far. But he also, on the flip side, called for freedom of conscience in choosing or refusing inoculation. And so it's not the government per se, but there have been instances in the past where this type of conversation has been happening, where people have felt very strongly, you know, you should be getting this inoculation, you shouldn't be getting this inoculation, and framing it in in faith-based conversations. And I found it interesting to just look at that and say, look at these, like, these echoes that I'm seeing, especially in some of the arguments that were made. Um, and for the listeners who know the the famous theologian, Jonathan Edwards, he died because he took the smallpox vaccine. That's how he died. So this was a big deal in, in that time. And there were some strong opinions. But I think we can look at how the church has weathered these types of issues and gotten over them. And it hasn't destroyed us. Uh, maybe sometimes we're a little bit more beaten up than we should be. But at the end of the day, uh, like, you know, the Psalm 20 verse 7 that I quoted, we need to put our trust in the Lord. We need to make sure that we're we're being uh, honest with ourselves. We're not violating our conscience, but we're also trusting that that God will see us through all of this. Yeah, it's it's something to be said in the, in the midst of all of it. And, may, and I pray that this is an encouragement to our listeners because, you know, certain certain topics, certain aspects of conversations can be so overwhelming. When I went on my, my holiday break, I my wife and I made a conscious effort. No, we are just going to enjoy our time. I'm not going to get into these deep debates and things like that. I'm just not going to do it. Not because I want to be removed, not because I'm empathetic, but I've just really been understanding the value of my peace and the value of just be, you know, just being sober minded as, as the word says, because it's, you know, like you, you just look at all these scenarios and it's just like, man, the, the enemy is so opportunistic to find division, right? To just get a wedge between those who dearly love each other, people who really do love each other, not just randoms on the internet that you don't know, but seeing families literally torn apart over conversations mm-hmm. on rights of conscience. It, it's just like, man, this, this, this isn't it. Like that, how did we get to here? And I think that's why earlier I was saying, we, we got to find these neutral spaces, right? It's, it's finding this, this, this common ground where we can actually sit and hold a conversation where, where we can, where we can disagree, not just agree because we've got a million echo chambers, but places where we can disagree, but walk away from there, having a better understanding of that person's context. You know, I have a friend of mine who her main reason for it is she's got health complications. So the idea of taking a vaccine, she's like regular medicines that have been tested for years have put me at risk. So you want now you want me to go and take this one. I'm genuinely scared because I trusted the other ones, the ones that were deemed safe and had been safe for for years. But now you're telling me I can't go to here and I can't go to there. My reason isn't just because I'm anti-vax. I'm genuinely concerned for my life. And having that conversation with her really like it challenged me, but it also blessed me at the same time because she's not the only one. You know, this is such a good, good point, um, Troy, because this really starts to challenge us in particular, you know, as we think about the, you know, what it looks like to be a Christian in the midst of all of this. You know, a divided society is one thing, but as you're pointing out, a divided family and, and a divided church, I mean, that's, that's, that's a whole nother thing. 
And th- and that tells you when people are, are willing to divide friends, family, and church, that's where you really got to question what's go- what's going on here. And and even like as you're bringing up Troy, like in and you have all brought up, we all have friends, and we all have family that are on different you know, spectrums of this from the far left to the far right of, and, and as you said, Wes, everything in between. <laughs> and and we, we all have that. And it's one of those things, well, well how, do we, how do we live in the midst of that? And, and, and here's something more than that. How do we actually appreciate? How do we actually appreciate that, that people have differing, differing opinions and that that is okay? And in fact, in a democracy is a good thing. And, and particularly in a family, you know, that you appreciate your different perspectives. In the church, again, you're appreciating your different perspectives and that there's times you're going to disagree with each other, but how do we remain united in the midst of in the midst of this? Is, I think those are important questions that as Christians we have to navigate through. Because, uh, uh, you know, clearly Apologetics Canada, we're not a political organization and we're not advocating for political policies and issues, although clearly we're advocating for the Christian perspective. And I guess one thing, you know, that we continue to advocate for is is unity, that we would be a people that love God and that love each other, and that we have to work through the messiness of this and figure out how, how do I navigate that with pe- some people I agree with, some people I disagree with, and some people I'm not sure what to think. You know, you often hear the verse, Matthew 16, 18, and where Jesus tells Peter that he's going to build the church and the gates of Hades, hell will not overcome it. And I think we often misinterpret that verse as evil attacking the kingdom of God. But gates don't attack. You attack gates. So it's not that the gates of of sin and evil and hell and oppression are encroaching on us. They're not. The gates aren't standing. It's that the church will not be overcome when they go out into the world and they battle against not just flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of, of evil and sin and hell and Satan. Um, the, ch- the church will prevail and uh, we need to focus our eyes on Christ. We need to be, we need to proceed in humility, acknowledging that, you know, the church is diverse the church is not, it doesn't all look the same. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's good that we have different denominations. I think it's good that my church, if you come in on a, a Sunday morning, you're going to see people who don't look the same, right? There are white people, there are black people, there are Asians, we have a number of Arabs, we have a number of Polynesians, like everything, right? Hispanics. And that's beautiful. The church of God is diverse, and that includes opinions. And, and to add to that, it's, that's why it's important not to overlook your community and how we impact our community. Because so often, if the people in my community don't agree, then I'm just going to go beyond them. And so what Wes is saying, he's not, he's not going condoning a per, some person's, you know, holy war. You know, you're like, see, he, he just said that the gates of hell will not overcome. So we're going to go and we're going to march. On the, no, that's not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, take, take a moment to, to really think about how the gospel is affecting your community. How is the gospel being preached through the scenario that you are in? One thought on that is uh, that I think is interesting is not to say, though, that the church shouldn't care about justice, right? 
we we do care about justice and we and we do care about those who are being treated unjustly and and caring for the orphan and the widow and and all of those things but but it is interesting isn't it that if that's all you make the church into then then the church just be like it's this constant dissatisfaction where it's like okay i've we've got to fight this injustice and this injustice and and then it's like trying to make this kingdom here on earth because you've lost focus of the gospel so as i'm kind of wrestling through this myself right it's it's appreciating that it's both it's yes we care about justice but we have our our sight set on the judge who as you're talking about west that that he is ultimately in control and that that we know that he has one and that the gospel will go forward. So we have that that confidence, not that we feel like we have to fight every battle so that we can create a little heaven on earth, but knowing that God has already won and we go forward in the gospel in that hope. So it's it's both is how I'm trying to understand that as a Christian. I think there's a lot of us trying to figure that out. What, what does that actually look like to be a Christian in a democracy? And just imagine that there is freedom in just recognizing God's sovereignty and saying, okay, you're in control. I'm not. I'm just going to do my best here, yeah. right? You, you don't have to change the world, but when you when everybody does each his or her own part, I think the world will change. Yeah, th- this conversation is absolutely uh, not exhaustive. Like we, we could, we could carry on, we could keep going and you could tell that we really want to, but <laughs> you know, I don't know, maybe we're going to have to do a, we're going to have to do a part two at some point, but thank you guys so much for listening to the AC podcast today. Um, I, and again, thank you so much to our, our two guests that sent in their audio so that we could use it to get a heartbeat as to, to what other people are thinking, what other people are wrestling with. And as we continue to navigate the current times together as i think as we we've all said let's let's be slow to speak and quick to listen and and remain sober-minded and remain prayerful for our neighbors for our brothers and sisters and for the, the communities that we're in so that we can be the best representation of christ that we can be the ac podcast is a ministry of apologetics canada and as such Please make sure to interact with us online. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have any more questions or statements that you would like to make, feel free to send us an email at info at apologeticscanada.com. But until then, love God, love people. Bye for now.